Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from the heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, this, is, uh, this is one of the hard parts of being a pastor. Um, whenever the sermon comes and, and you kind of have a choice uh, that... You know, I've talked to you all about before, pastors have a choice uh, choosing between the role of a prophet or a priest. The priestly role is that which is comforting, encouraging, supportive. The role that, uh, that we're from whence those feel-good sermons come from. The role of the prophet is to speak truth to power, to be the mouthpiece of God, to say the hard things and so today, I entered, uh, well, really this entire week, uh, entered into this process of discerning where I needed to be, because initially I had planned for this really feel-good kind of sermon, a year of the Holy Spirit. How could that not be a feel-good sermon? I'm like, come on, Holy Spirit, come. But then Wednesday happened. Already there's a little tension in the room that settles whenever I just mention Wednesday because for those of you who uh, keep up with any amount of the news know that on Wednesday we saw, well, chaos, destruction, indeed even domestic terrorism. And so I'm faced with that uh, choice and and I, uh, I don't think that I could consider myself any kind of decent pastor if I didn't address that uh, massive elephant in the room of what we witnessed on Wednesday. And it's, it's difficult because um, <laughs> throughout this entire week, I, I was racking my brain as to what to say, what, what could even be a decent word to bring up. And... Uh, I'll, I'll admit to you, until this morning, um, my sermon page only had on it the scripture lesson because there were just no words that I could bring forward during such tension, such a time in 
our world. And there are plenty of points that I could address here today, whether it be the blatant attack on democracy, whether it be the very evident implementation of white privilege, whether it be those people who lost their lives for no good reason. But I remembered that today I wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I want to reflect on the presence of the church during these times. And as I was uh, fixated on all of the different news outlets that were uh, covering the events that transpired on Wednesday, each moment was just as heartbreaking as the next, but the, probably the most intense burden I felt from the day was seeing the church show up in such a disgraceful way. And I'm using a lot of very um, pointed language today in full anticipation that any backlash that, uh, that you feel that you want to convey to me afterwards is wholly welcomed. Uh, for those of you who have been in Bible studies with me, you know that I end each one with any questions, concerns, comments, or angry tirades. Uh, I don't say that ironically, I actually mean it. If you're upset about something that comes out of my mouth, something that we talk about, then bring it forward. Don't just stew in it because that doesn't help anybody. But I made an intentional choice today to talk about this because the church was called higher than where it was on Wednesday. Banners for Jesus 2020 how small-minded we are to think that Jesus would ever run for president. To see people bowing at a cross in front of turmoil. Not asking for God's peace or grace or love in such a place, but invoking the name of God as a backing for such activity. We entered into the year 2021 and we said, God, let this be anything except for the year 2020 all over again. And well, it seems like 2020 is carrying a little bit of some residual effects into this year. And it is difficult to talk about. It is difficult to address, but I could not in good confidence just pass by what we experienced on Wednesday. And so um, in, in my now uh, go, almost, almost be 11 years of studying uh, theology in some respect, uh, there is one truth two truths, oh, I'll say two truths. There are two truths that I have I've come to find uh, during my studies. The first is that we could never say enough about God. That God is always going to be more infinite than our feeble attempts to attend to God. That God is always going to be greater than the human imagination. And the second truth I've learned is that the only thing that we could say about God that is, in fact, true enough is that God is love. 
We could even go uh, take any other characteristic of God uh, that we can think of, even to say God is holy. That seems like that should be a universal truth. Yes, absolutely, God is holy. But the word holy quite literally means set apart. And we have a moment in which God actually says, I don't want to be just set apart from you. I want to be with you. That was our whole Advent series when God shows up in the form of Jesus Christ. So even to say that God is holy is not getting the entire picture. But one truth that we could say about God that at least encompasses enough for us is that God is love. And so the, the task that I have placed on myself in, in attending to who the church should be in relation to this God came forward in the very first sermon that I ever preached here. So a little pop quiz. It's going to be fun. Anybody remember what the title of the very first sermon that I preached here was? Everybody's like, please don't do this, Pastor. Don't talk to us during the Don't make us talk whenever you're talking. Uh, it was uh, uh, actually a line taken from, um, from the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, Where is the love? That was the title of the first sermon I ever got to preach here at Spring Hill Avenue, Where is the Love? And it became that uh, I, I implored us to use as kind of our foundation as a church to say that if we are going to be the church here in this space, here in this community, here in the world, we must always start with the question, where is the love? Allowing that to be our foundation, allowing that to be our guidance in everything that we do. And so I look at the points in human history when the church has been in its most tenacious, when the church has been insufficient. And we must still ask the question, where is the love? And in truth, that love which we realize as our foundation is only ever sustained as long as the church invokes, is inspired by, is guided by the Holy Spirit. Our passage today is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, he's been growing, learning, educating himself, finding out more about the world, finding out, finding out more about his own identity. For roughly 30 years of his life, he's been preparing. And finally, it's time. And he goes and meets his cousin, yeah, kind of a, his, mom's cousin, his mom's cousin's son, I don't know what that makes you once removed, something like that, uh, goes and meets his cousin out at, in the Judean wilderness at the Jordan River to be baptized. And he is baptized, and whenever he comes up out of the water, we get this imagery that the heavens were torn open. I mean, that's pretty intense imagery as far as imagery goes. So the heavens were torn open, and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. The Holy Spirit. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And then just after this moment... Jesus is, is ushered by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And we have these, these 40 days in which Jesus is, uh, goes through all kinds of trials and temptations in the wilderness. And then he comes out and calls his first disciples. This is how the ministry of Jesus begins. 
with the Holy Spirit already. That's how Jesus' ministry begins, with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' ministry concludes with a couple of words to his disciples. He tells them, I am not going to leave you orphaned or alone. Rather, I am going to send to you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you and guide you. Jesus' ministry begins and ends and is perpetuated throughout history for over 2,000 years by the Holy Spirit. And so, as we consider what we are doing going into this year, remember a new year is a year of new possibilities, and I guess technically we have seen new things happen this year already. We must, or I at least encourage us to consider what a year might be going into it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as our guide, the Holy Spirit as our advocate, the Holy Spirit as everything we need to be sustained. A year of the Holy Spirit is about a year of following, not selfishness. That's the uh, complicated nature of the Christian life that we constantly hold in tension is that we have our own plans and our own desires and our own things that we think are good and right and fit for us to do. And more often than not, we follow those things. Whether that be that tempting pack of Oreos that's sitting in your pantry that you swore you would not eat from, but yet it still sits there. I've been good. I told you last week that I was going to throw it away, but I didn't. But I haven't eaten from it yet either. Or whether it be our own desires to prove a point in the most violent and disgraceful way possible. A year of the Holy Spirit is about following. On multiple points, the Holy Spirit is noted as our guide. Um, have any of you ever been on a uh, on a like wilderness adventure, or or um, I'm trying to think of some way to to some, something in which you were in an unfamiliar place and you had somebody guiding you? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, whenever my wife and I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Israel a number of years ago, we went with guides. Um, uh, one of our professors who lived in Israel for a while, as well as uh, one of, uh, of our pastors who had been to Israel multiple times, we went with guides. Uh, if it were not for them, we would have been very lost. I mean, very lost. We do not speak Hebrew. Um, <laughs> it would have been horribly confusing. But we went with guides, and it was very apparent how necessary guides are. If you've ever been on one of these kind of wilderness treks or some unfamiliar terrain where you need a guide, even if it's just a college campus tour, you realize very quickly that if you try to do your own thing that the guide is not doing, you're probably going to get lost, or at least something horrible is going to happen. It's like the plot of every single movie in which people don't listen to the people who know what they're talking about. You get lost, things go horribly wrong, get all kinds of confused and turned around. Guides don't just get that position, you know, because they think they know what they're doing. They get that position because they know what they are doing. 
They actually are trained in that matter. And so it, it, is, it is incredibly ironic whenever anybody uh, kind of disregards what a, a guide is saying and tries to do it their own way in unfamiliar territory. It is even more ironic whenever Christians try to do this, uh, whenever we try to do this in our own lives, whenever we say, you know what? I know what's right. I know what's supposed to happen. I know the good path, so I'm going to take it. Oh, the audacity that we as Christians often have to be able to say such things in the face of the Holy Spirit, our guide, who has been given to us to direct us on the path of love and grace. Mm. The Holy Spirit as our guide is a, is a year of following, not selfishness. And a year of following the Holy Spirit will look difficult. It does, it's not the easy path. It's, it's, it's not the path that, uh, that you know, has been paved very well. It's a path filled with obstacles. It's a path filled with difficult choices. It's a path filled with addressing blatant evil in the world. Today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, a day in which we remember the baptism of the Lord. Yeah, it's adequately named. Uh, in our own baptism, in the vows that uh, people who are baptized in the United Methodist Church take, the pastor asks this question of those who are to be baptized or their sponsors. On behalf of the whole church, I ask of you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sins, to which the candidates then respond, I do. And then, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? To which the candidates respond, I do. And then lastly, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord, in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? To which the candidates then respond, I do. And then we proceed with the baptism. These are the vows that individuals baptizing the United Methodist Church take to renounce the spiritual forces of, forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of this world, to repent of your sins, to accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, not anyone else? Put your whole trust in his grace, not in anything else, and promise to serve him as your Lord, not anyone else. The vows of the United Methodist Church's baptismal covenant calls us into what John Wesley, the founder, uh, unintentional founder of modern day United Methodism called social holiness. Social holiness. In fact, John Wesley went so far to say that there is no holiness other than social holiness. When we get into the season of Lent, that's almost exclusively what we will be talking about, social holiness and what that means and why it matters. 
But suffice to say, it matters enough today because in our own baptismal covenant, we recognize that our responsibility is for more than just ourselves. That we are called and guided by the Holy Spirit to live lives for more than just ourselves. That we are called to identify and stand up against those moments in which selfishness is running rampant in our world. In which riots and violence break out simply because people do not get their way. We live in a broken world, yes, but we as the church are called to be guided by the Holy Spirit. To pick up those pieces along the way. To unite them in the great love of God. And to leave the world better than we found it. A year of the Holy Spirit is about following, not selfishness. And so I offer you this challenge today. In the year 2021, let it be a year of more of the Holy Spirit and less of me. Or you, if you want to use the second person. Let it be a year of more of the Holy Spirit and less of me. Because when we have too much of me, too much of our self roaming the world, when we have too much of our own selfishness guiding our intentions, we end up in circumstances that are abhorrent, to say the least. And there are many more occasions that could speak up about that are going on in our world. But this one hits particularly close to home for me as a child of a former Marine, a grandchild of uh, Army officers, as uh, a person who has been reminded constantly throughout my life about the cost of freedom, and a person who has witnessed additionally how easily that democracy can crumble. Let this be a year of the Holy Spirit. For each and every one of us, for the church itself, for the church has no place supporting acts of terrorism. The church has every place to be in love and love alone. So let us be guided by the Spirit this year, not our selfishness. Let us have more of the Holy Spirit this year and less of ourselves. Let this be a year dedicated to the Lord. And let us pray.